Morning. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, I'm extremely excited to introduce Sarah Siebels. This is her first week of uh, work with her, with us. And um, Sarah, we, we prayed for six months for the right person. And we prayed, uh, the, the, the word we were using when we prayed for the person that would take Elizabeth Elliot's place is that we, she, God would send us someone great. Uh, good is the enemy of great, right? So we prayed that God would send us someone great. And um, Lord, and Lord really, really was faithful to our prayers, and we just think we think Sarah's great. We think she's going to do a fantastic job. Um, I know I'm setting the bar really high for your talk here, um, but anyhow, Sarah grew up here in Birmingham. She is an Adventer. She was a part of our youth ministry. Went to the University of Virginia, where you majored in economics and art history. Um, she's She's a lot smarter than I am, I'll just say that much. And uh, anyhow, this past year, she's been a part of the Fellows Program at Christ Episcopal Church in Charlottesville. She worked in the youth ministry there, and, uh, and here she is with us. So I'm going to pray for Sarah, and then she's going to share her story and share her testimony. So let's pray. Um, Holy Lord, uh, all good things come from you, and for that we give you thanks. And Lord Christ, uh, we proclaim you as king, and uh, we, are, we are grateful that you watch over us and that you rule this world. And... Uh, we thank you for your gospel, God, that uh, you have offered us salvation and you have um, brought us from the dead. And Lord, we pray for this time. Pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. Pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Sarah. Pray that people here would be encouraged, um, that we would embrace the reality of the gospel, and consequently we'd be people uh, who walk in freedom and peace, and we'd be people who love you more and who love our neighbor better. And uh, ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Cameron. Oh, there we go. Um, so initially, I guess it was about a few weeks ago, Cameron called me um, and left a voicemail on my machine and asked me um, if I would speak before the dean's class and share my testimony. So I thought it was going to be kind of a five-minute spiel about uh, how I came to accept this position and how I came from growing from Birmingham to Charlottesville and back. And as it turns out, uh, he had more of a 35 to 40 minute thing in mind. <laughs> and um, I find the idea of talking about myself for that long a little bit frightening, to be honest. Um, and so it's instead my hope that it's going to be less about me and that um, hopefully this for the next 35 minutes, I'll be talking more about um, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and how that moved me from here to Charlottesville and back and how really it moved me from somebody who said that they would, in quotations, never be a youth minister um, <laughs> to someone who is currently thrilled to be a youth minister. Um, and so that being said, um, I want to start at the beginning because I see that that's the, really where the work of God began in my life. Um, and now, having worked for the church for, I guess, the last year, I've kind of become accustomed to telling my testimony now and again, never for this long. But um, <laughs> And... Uh, I always start at my conversion, which, um, spoiler alert, was when I was 16. Um, and yeah, a few months ago, I had the privilege of being a part of a um, discernment committee in Charlottesville to help a young man decide whether he was going to enter seminary. And as part of our training, we had a woman come in from the diocese, and um, she was teaching us a lot about listening techniques and um, describing how to listen to the Holy Spirit. And so at one point in our training... We were matched up in pairs or in small groups. So sitting down in our kind of grungy youth room, <laughs> that she wrote up on the board a question for us to consider, to practice, and it said, um, what was your first experience of God? 
And so initially my mind jumped to when I was 16 and that conversion. But the longer I kind of let it sit, the more I realized that that was most certainly not my first experience of God. And that um, really it was much sooner. And once I kind of broke the mold on that, I realized that I had other memories flooded to my consciousness. And I realized that um, God had been active in my life way before the light, as they say, sort of officially turned on. And um, so with that in mind, um, I start at the beginning. And first, a little context, like Cameron said, I um, grew up here at the Advent and um, to two wonderful parents who are Christians and at this great church. <laughs> and you would think a lot of people assume that my faith was something sort of inevitable, that um, because I grew up in a great family and a great church, that I would, by necessity, be a Christian. And that was most certainly not the case with me. <laughs> I, um, from a young age, was pretty skeptical of, faith, of Christianity and um, life in the church. And so, um, with that being said, it wasn't until I was about seven or eight years old that I can recall um, late one night, my, um, as the youngest in my family, I was absolutely convinced that there was some sort of conspiracy, that they sent me to bed first and then all of the fun things happened, you know, like <laughs> they watched all the best TV shows, had they, all the juiciest gossip came up, you know, like um, <laughs> everything good happened after I went to bed. And so it was my kind of point of defiance, I don't know if they've known this, <laughs> that I would uh, stay awake on purpose. I was sort of like sticking it to the man, that like if I would stay awake in bed and listen to like the gentle hum of their conversation or the TV, that somehow I was proving it. Like I proved you wrong, you know, like I'm still a part of this. So I can remember one of those nights I was laying in bed kind of upside down, one of my techniques to kind of stay awake and think about things. But this night in particular, I was pretty wide awake. And I remember looking over at, a dollhouse that I had in my room, that this beautiful dollhouse that my cousins had given me for Christmas and for my birthday. And um, it struck me all of a sudden that I really felt not so different than those dolls that I played with. Um, I never really enjoyed dolls because I felt it was sort of silly. I never understood what the point of it was. And in the same way, I kind of all of a sudden realized I wasn't really sure what the point of my life was. And birth and death became really real to me in a moment. And I felt also, like the dolls, that there was something, there had to be something bigger going on, that this couldn't be it, that I couldn't just come into the world and then leave with nothing else, that I felt small all of a sudden. And so I knew that I had this really a deep sense that something greater was happening, and yet it was a sense that was unresolved. I wasn't really sure um, what that greater thing was, but I knew it was something. And I look back now and I say, God was in that room with me, absolutely. I'm convinced of it. Um, and he was watching over me and kind of had his arms around me in that moment. And though I, I couldn't have called his name. And in a sense, he was already then kind of tilling the soil, if you will, you know, putting in the fertilizer, or <laughs> all natural, I hope, something. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm from Charlottesville now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and so with that began a new kind of phase for me where I thought about God a little bit and about religion and I was open to Christianity because even then I respected my parents. And I was interested in giving their faith kind of a shot. And so from that phase on, I kind of treated God as my 911 operator. Um, like if I really, if my Coke got stuck in the Coke machine or something, you know, that I would call on God, like maybe he'll help me, you know. And the funny thing, in his tender mercy, he did <laughs> often enough that he, um, 
he would do those little petty things that I asked him to do and showing him and revealing himself to me, which is pretty amazing, um, given kind of the greedy way with which I asked it. And so it was at that time, you know, I say that I, I woke much later, that um, I, was, I talk about how um, this has been a gradual waking up process for me that, um, to something that was around me all the time. So it was these moments that I kind of feel like God was almost kicking me in the shins, you know, <laughs> saying, like, and I would awake, oh, I would awake, and um, only to fall back asleep again, unfortunately. But that I can recall that now, that um, I, would, I would open my eyes and see him for a moment and then go back to sleep. But um, that being said, I, when I entered confirmation class here at the Advent, when I was about 12 or 13, I suppose, this is when we do it, um, I remember being kind of eager because it was finally a chance for me to look faith in the eye and Christianity and decide whether this was true and real. Um, but unfortunately, I kind of went into it with my own agenda. <laughs> and I decided that first, I really wanted some sort of concrete proof that Christianity was real and that I wanted to feel it rationally and kind of logically, but also emotionally. Like deep down, I wanted this profound sense that was unshakable, that it's true. And second, I, um, and kind of more specifically, I wanted to have, um, I wanted evil to be explained. That was something that I'd always struggled with. I couldn't really understand. And um, I even recall asking Paul Zoll. We had a Q&A with the dean, <laughs> all these 12-year-olds. And um, he, I remember raising my hand and asking him, you know, could you explain this whole Lucifer thing? You know, I just don't really get what the, why we need that. Why did God make Lucifer? You know, and I'm sure he gave a great answer. I mean, I'm sure it was wonderful. But um, he couldn't make me a Christian. Paul Zoll couldn't make me a Christian. And um, I couldn't really do it. And or I know I couldn't do it. And nobody could have given me the answer that would have been sufficient. I was asking for something um, that I was asking the wrong questions, really, because I was looking for evil somewhere outside. I was bitter at God for making evil in everyone but myself. <laughs> but I, I think the scary thought was to realize that maybe that that evil had permeated something deeper within myself and had covered more territory than I was really capable of understanding. And so um, I still was sort of skeptical, but I went through with the actual confirmation ceremony, part of the tradition and everything. And I was still a little curious because leading into it, my um, confirmation teacher, I remember, said, you might feel something when the bishop lays his hands on you. You might just feel something. And I got really excited. I thought, finally, like a lightning bolt or something, you know. And so I knelt at the altar and um, waited and I... I remember thinking, is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to feel? I don't know. I wasn't sure. And with that, I kind of entered my, um, what I would call the darkest phase of my faith. As they say, often it's, you know, darkest before the dawn. Um, And so I felt a little bit, I started to question my earlier convictions that something had to be going on. And I suppose as a child of the um, 21st, late 20th century, I kind of wondered, does it have to mean anything? You know, does life have to mean anything? Um, Maybe it means nothing. Maybe that's true. Um, And I also thought, if this is true, if Christianity is true, it all sounds a little too good to be true. I mean, it just sounded convenient to me that it just so happens that we have all these needs and we needed the Savior with these exact, you know, qualifications. And it just so happens that 2,000 years ago, the exact thing we needed was born, you know. Oh, happy day is what I'm... (laughs) And, again, because I couldn't, <laughs> I somehow couldn't connect that that was, 
that was deep need that I had. I just, it seemed still outside of me. But as I continued in that phase, I think um, there was a part of me that understood, finally, the, the need for a savior. I was asking those questions because I was starting to understand that there was something in me that wasn't quite right. And I, so with that, I um, was signed up for a mission trip here at the church. Uh, my parents signed me up with my permission, but a little reluctantly. <laughs> and I, um, because I had a free week for one of the first times that summer. And so I went because my sister had loved it. And I spent the week with this woman who was blind and uh, lived on, legally blind, not, and lived on the side of this mountain um, in this dilapidated sort of house with no. Her porch, she had a porch that had no railing. So despite the fact that she couldn't see, I mean, or she couldn't see, and so it seemed to me that she opened the door and, you know, it was only by the grace of God she didn't fall off her front porch. And I couldn't understand how this woman was living. And um, yet, despite all that, uh, she had this joy in life just radiating out of her eyes. And it was something that, it struck me that she had something that I didn't have. And even though on paper and what I would have said um, that I had everything that she would have wanted, I thought. You know, I had friends and I had a great family, a church, and I had um, was doing pretty well in school. And yet I knew that I wasn't happy and she was, or joyful really. And so the week kind of continued and I continued to be sort of in awe of her. And then the last night of the week, there was a religious ceremony that are uh, somewhat religious that I looked forward to because I thought, you know, maybe I'll feel something here finally. And I recall sitting on this kind of dirty linoleum floor. I remember being linoleum. It might have been some dirty carpet or something in this room. And they were um, passing things out. And I remember the, you know, the people who ran the program full of such emotion, their tears in their eyes. And I knew I didn't feel that way. And so I kind of half closed my eyes and looked upward because that's really the only direction that I need to look. <laughs> and I said um, to God, um, you said knock and the door shall be opened. And so God, right now I'm knocking and I'm asking you, please. I'm asking please because I want faith like that woman had. And oh, I didn't expect too much. And, um, <laughs> and so he answered me. And, moments, and within moments I knew that I was a Christian. And I received Jesus as my Savior. And so <laughs> I um, went home and I told my mother. <laughs> and I, but initially I wasn't really sure who, how to go about telling people. <laughs> it felt sort of fun. I was thrilled and I was eager to tell people who weren't Christians. But I didn't know how to tell the people that I'd been rejecting all these years. And it also felt like something that had been between me and God. And this is kind of our little thing. And me and God in Christ, I see. Um, and that I didn't know how to tell anyone. And so, thankfully, though, by the grace of God, I had the Bible to turn to because um, I, rem I recalled someone telling me, giving me a challenge, that if you read Mark and then Romans and then Galatians, I believe, and then Revelation before Christmas, they said, your life will be changed. Well, maybe not, but either way, come talk to me. <laughs> and so I got home and I started pouring into Mark. And a lot of it was really confusing and troubling to me, especially some of the passages about um, demons and legion and things like that. Um, and yet 
I continued, and I turned to kind of contemporary Christian lit and read some C.S. Lewis, and I have had a very slow rate, it looks like now, but still, I, my faith began to grow. And still, though, I was confined within certain circumstances, that I'd been with these certain friends and had certain patterns of behavior that I was still stuck in, because I was still stuck in my own sin, and I knew enough that that wasn't really going to go away. <laughs> and yet, when I went to college, I, uh, I had this idea that the farther away I went, the more of an adventure that I would have. And so um, I looked at schools, and Virginia in particular stuck out because I felt like God was really leading me there. And so I went to Virginia um, under a little nudging from the Holy Spirit, and what I felt at the time felt sort of inevitable. And again, by the absolute grace of God, I was picked up in my dorm by a bus from Christ Episcopal Church the very first week of school, that took me to um, Paul Walker's church, Christ, Christ Episcopal, and um, he preached a sermon that spoke right into my heart. And then they fed me dinner afterwards, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> and so I kept coming back. I was hooked. And um, I was also graciously plugged into a um, Christian fellowship at the university. And I continued with those, though um, that earlier kind of... Uh, self-righteous independence that I'd had, I kind of maintained. <laughs> and I didn't really want to become part of what I called the, the Christian community in school because I felt like it sounded like something separate. And I, I really enjoyed my non-Christian friends, not for the sake of rejecting Christianity, but for the sake of I felt that they had articulated sin in ways that I thought were beautiful and powerful and I never heard before, that I knew that I wasn't really that different from them and I wasn't ready to kind of totally separate myself. Um, and so that being said, I signed up for a study abroad program in college uh, for four to five months. And it didn't occur to me once that I'd be leaving the church and Bible studies for all that time. I just went happily, skipped off, and I got there, and it was really hard. <laughs> I had never been without a church. I'd never been without other Christians. And I had my Bible, and I turned to that, but I knew that there's something to this whole church thing, you know? that Jesus had given us this as a gift. God had given us the church and something to be cherished. And I learned that for the first time. And so I contacted my mother, and she gave me some online devotionals to read, which helped me feel sort of connected. There are other Christians out there. Um, and so I, with that in mind, that summer I was reading a book. I have a sort of secret love of these overly emotional uh, kind of uh, Christian testimonies. <laughs> I guess it's not a secret because I'm telling you, but I think that they're really great, and I love the kind of fire these people have, um, though I'm not really ready to pack up and go anywhere, but or came here. But um, I, uh, So I was reading one of these books, and I all of a sudden hit me that this is what I wanted to do, that I wanted to, um, to give my life in the way they had. I thought that was... I wasn't sure what that was going to look like yet, and I felt really drawn to the church. I wasn't sure. And so I, that, with that kind of thought running through my mind, I went back to school for my fourth year, and I met with someone at Christ Church who said um, we had a great conversation, directed me to someone here at the Advent, and said, you know, you grew up in this really great church. You might 
you might kind of, you could go and get tap into some of those resources. <laughs> and I felt kind of funny about it because I felt like, well, I wasn't really much of a, I was kind of a delinquent as a child. I don't know what they'll think of me coming back and now here I am for advice, you know. <laughs> but the Adventists is a smart church and they knew that I did not want advice. <laughs> they just knew I needed to be listened to. And so I came and I met with someone and I kind of talked a little bit about where I was and how um, graciously, again, that in college, being without everything, I'd come to rely on um, God in ways I hadn't before because I had no one else. And I'd come to see for the first time, I'd always had this really profound respect for God and a sense of his power because he kind of would do, I was aware of miracles growing up, I feel like. And so I knew that he was powerful, but in college with nothing to turn to, I finally saw uh, Jesus as really my advocate and friend. And so with that in mind, I talked to the um, I talked to someone here and he said, have you ever thought about, listen to me for a while, says, have you ever thought about youth ministry? And I said, you know, I'm really not interested. And, he, and then he says, very graciously says, well, you know, sometimes the most reluctant people make the best youth ministers. Uh, to which I lean in and I said, um, you know, never say never, but that is not going to happen. <laughs> and so he said, well, you know, have you ever thought about um, one of these fellows' programs? <laughs> and so um, I went back to Charlottesville, but I wanted, you know, hopefully at this point it's become somewhat clear that, uh, I met, again, two years ago when I met with that person in Charlottesville in the fall, they had said, um, I said, I just feel like I'm waiting for something to rain from the sky. I'm just sitting around with open hands saying, Where, just come. I don't, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting on my hands practically. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And to which he said, um, don't you feel like that's how things always happen? <laughs> and I was, because I really wanted to work for it. You know, I kind of wanted to do my spiritual cartwheel to get this thing to happen. And he said, so I kind of didn't like his answer at the time, but I look back and I see that he was totally right, that um, God had been giving me these opportunities on basically a silver platter. And I hadn't done anything to earn them. I mean, I had no way in my early childhood was gunning for Christianity or gunning to... I, I wasn't working on my faith. I wasn't, you know... I only see that now, that God was hard at work, you know? Um, and so with that in mind, I, I think that... Um, I, I've, I was always, I've always been comforted by, I wanted to do a little reading at this point, by, from Romans 8. And I, I really hate that it's become sort of trite or something. It's overused, but I think it's so beautiful that um, I just, it gives me reassurance that um, it's not even my tendency to nap now and again. You know, I talk about this awakening from a certain slumber. Um, I still doze now and again, unfortunately. But that God has power over that, and he has power over my past and future self. And that um, he was at work even when I said no to youth ministry. And so he says in Romans, If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, 
For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it is by the Holy Spirit. So Gil, like I said, directed me to, um, against the kind of, uh, against all my selfish um, pride and ambition, to consider the Fellows Program. And so I went back to Charlottesville, and I spoke with Dave Johnson, who's the coordinator there. It's great. And um, he, again, God is persistent, <laughs> turned to me and said, have you thought about youth ministry? <laughs> and I said, okay, you know, he said, I think you'd be really great. And I said, okay, well, if you really need someone, I will help you. Um, and so that summer, I uh, really gave it some thought, and I, I kind of felt my heart changing. I kind of, thinking about it, I even met with Elizabeth Elliot to get some tricks of the trade. <laughs> and I um, began my year in Charlottesville. And uh, I worked at the middle school because that's what they really needed. And I didn't have a preference because I didn't really know what to do. And I was, I must say, shocked at how much I loved it and how much I had in common with 13-year-olds. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really wanted to believe, as you can tell, that like all these things had happened between 13 and then. And yet I realized that talking to them was just like talking to my girlfriends that we had the exact same problems. It's just they might wear a different mask, you know? Um, I even remember at one moment early in the year, I uh, called my mother in a kind of, with a mock dramatic tone, which I have a tendency to do, kind of amp it up. And I said, um, <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of laid the, laid the groundwork, and I said, Mother, I think I need a therapist. To which, sh- shockingly, my mother laughed and said, so do we all. <laughs> <laughs> and it was then, it was beginning then, and st- still, I'm all constantly amazed that I learned that um, we all do, really. We all need to be listened to. And no matter how seemingly insecure or confident or young or old, um, we all desperately, I feel, are in need of being listened to. And it's been a privilege to have the opportunity to listen to some of the, it was a privilege then and it's a privilege now to listen to some of these young girls, especially at this time in their life when I see that... Um, so many things are being asked of them from their parents and from their schools and often, most importantly, from themselves, that they have all these bars that they're trying so desperately to hurdle like we are, but they really have no one um, with which to talk about it. And so it's been a really amazing time for me to spend just talking and listening, most importantly listening and asking the right questions and um, by the Holy Spirit. And... So that's really kind of how I came to um, consider youth ministry again because my initial aversion had nothing to do with children or ministry. I was interested in both. I'd always loved working with kids, and they're teenagers, not really, but um, kids necessarily, but um, not that far from my age. But um, I'd always loved working with them. It just had this image in my mind of what a youth minister was, um, sort of like a... Um, I knew I wasn't that great at a cartwheel, and I had no desire to see how much cheese whiz I could fit in my mouth. And so, and I was like perfectly happy being a 20-something, and I did not want to pretend to be younger than I am. And yet, um, graciously, this church, that's not what they're asking me, I learned. That um, 
I was not interested in being a circus performer, which is what I kind of saw. Certainly not true at the Advent, but that's sort of like that pop culture stereotype of a youth minister. I wasn't interested in doing that. And I didn't feel like I had the kind of color-coded prayer journal and, like, matching sweater set. I didn't feel like I was that, <laughs> that girl that should be a youth minister, that there are plenty of people who would do a better job. I mean, I just looked back to I never liked youth group when I was growing up at the church. So comfort to your, if you or your children, if it's you. Um, I, did, I couldn't stand it. I remember asking my mother, I said, what does me bowling have to do with anything? You know, I said, if you want me to go bowling, I'll go bowling with my friends. I don't want to go with people I don't know, you know. And yet, um, <laughs> sorry, Cameron. Um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, but, but so um, I learned that there was so much more to it. And that's not at all what Cameron was going to ask me to do. That um, I'm here with no agenda. That um, just to love, and because I've been loved, uh, love fully. And that I have uh, hopefully an ear to hear these girls and boys, um, and that I will be a source of, hopefully, just someone who, by the Holy Spirit, will ask the right questions and really be attentive and watching and listening. And um, I just, I couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of this. I really couldn't. Um, There's nothing I love more than to talk about the Bible or theology or anything like that, but there's also nothing I love more than to listen to people. And um, so I wanted to kind of, uh, close before questions on um, this verse from Ephesians 5. It's, it relates to sort of what I've been saying about the slumber that I'm slowly but surely I, I recognize also that um, I felt also funny speaking because I'm still in a lot of ways at the beginning of this journey um, that I know by no means see myself as being spiritually advanced. I started my fellows year thinking I was kind of like I had my theology figured out. I was sort of like spiritually mature which isn't self-righteousness revolting, you know? Um, um, <laughs> and I realized that I was not mature at all. That I, That's one thing Christchurch gave me is they allowed me to spend a year basically swimming in freedom. And um, freedom from these obligations that I'm kind of talking about. That um, And when in that stillness came an, more of an awareness and an awakening to what was really going on even more around me. And for that, I'll be always so grateful and I can only hope to share that more. But So to end with this from Ephesians. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So that's it. So we have we have about ten or fifteen minutes for questions. Um, I'll I'll ask you a few just to okay. just to get started. Um, they're not going to be okay. <laughs> um, the uh, first question I would ask: You kind of identified yourself as a skeptic uh-huh. early on. Um, out of your own experience, uh, what would you say as an encouragement to someone who is a skeptic who really is kind of has a lot of questions about whether this whole Christianity thing is real? I would say that. Um, I mean, I, I definitely have no advice, but I would say descriptively of it in my life that that period of skepticism, like I said, was sort of the darkest period before the dawn. <laughs> that it was, for me, in my, it was important to go through that um, because it showed I was really engaging with it and thinking about it um, and that God delivered me from that and that the hope that he will, that's where you are, where someone you know or 
um, will deliver you too, and that he is present in that as well as no more or less present than he is with me or Cameron or anybody at this church or Frank. And so um, I guess I it was beneficial to me to ask questions, you know, because certainly people ask me those questions now, and I'm glad to have thought about it. Um, here's a tough one. Uh, since you didn't like going bowling, um, the uh, I was going to say, so you talked about kind of wanting this, like, experiential validation that this is all real. Um, yeah, could you speak to that a little more? For I, I know there, I hear from a lot of people that, God, you know, I, I hear all this, but, uh, you know, that God is good and that, you know, that God loves me and, and that he's in control, and yet in my own life, I don't experience that. I don't see that. Do you have anything to, to say from your from your own experience, descriptively, along those lines? Descriptively about one more time, sorry. About um, you know wanting to have this, this validation and experience that God is good and that God loves you. Um, I, I hate to, I don't I hate to harp on, um, but I, I do think that I wanted that experience so badly. That's why I see the kind of comedy in it. That I wanted it really badly when I was like twelve, thirteen. But again, kind of in the wrong way, I wanted it. But um, and it was given to me. And again, it wasn't something I necessarily knew how to ask for. Um, I don't know that everyone shares the exact same experience that I had. And that, like light bulb, certainly, I, I know many people who describe a more kind of gradual um, faith process. And that's just, I think, God gives you what you need in response to you in that way. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I would say that it was given to me, and it wasn't. That was the funny thing that it was when it, when I demanded it. <laughs> it was not when I got it, but when he just gave it to me later because he knew that I needed it. Because it's been a wonderful thing to fall back on his memories. All right, one other question. Uh, I know I just from knowing you, but also in your testimony, you talked about enjoying having relationships with people who are not Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything to say about that? As far as a lot of times, Christians can be a holy huddle. We can just kind mm-hmm. of stick to our church world, stick to our Christian friends, and, and never, you know, never really interact with people who are not just like us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything to say along those lines as, a, as an encouragement from your own experience about the value of, of interacting and being in a relationship with people in the culture? Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I sort of, like I said, sort of in a different way than some people do, I guess, um, that I stayed in a lot of sense with my non-Christian friends and then later came to Christian, have more friends from the church, which has been something really wonderful. And I never knew what I was missing out on, but it's, it's incredible. But that being said, I think that um, there's a certain... One thing I didn't like in college that I was sort of referencing is that they treated non-Christianity like a disease that they might catch. Like, if I spend enough time with you, that maybe I'll lose my faith. And I would say that that is most certainly not going to happen. I mean, that... If your faith is something, if, if, if it has gripped you, then I don't think that God is going to let you go. And that um, I, I feel called to live certainly um, in the world. And like I said, I've heard some of the most amazing. I had this roommate in college, um, and I was the first Christian that she'd ever met. Sort of strange. I didn't expect that to happen. But, um, and we would stay up late at night, and she would describe things to me. I mean, the most clear, you could have like pulled it out of the Book of Common Prayer, what sin was and how she was experiencing it. And it taught me a lot about that this is universally true for everyone. This is not, um, this is not something that's just true for Sarah Siebel's or true for Birmingham, Alabama, or true, maybe this other faith is true too, but this is true. 
So, so when you say this, you mean meaning the gospel. Yeah. Um, all right. One other uh, one other question. Yeah. Sorry to dominate the conversation, everybody. Uh, uh, so you talked about the role of your parents in your life uh-huh. and how um, what a, you know what a major role they played. What are, what were some things um, that your parents did or things you saw in your parents' life that kind of affirmed your faith? That you, that, that, and if you could say it in such a way that would help parents here translate that to their life. Um, I would say that, and I don't want to make them uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, they were really great in the sense that they were never pushy about faith with me. I mean, they never really made me do any of it. They encouraged me to come to youth group now and again, and I, I did come to Sunday school every Sunday. Um, but they never forced me to talk about faith. They never... Um, and and that giving me that freedom to come to it in my own time, I think that uh, one really incredible example that's not really necessarily uh, related to this directly, but it is, I think that, for example, when I was in school, uh, my parents never that I can recall asked me to study, asked me about my tests, asked me how I was doing on things, um, because I think that that in a lot of ways is they kind of freed me. They didn't put a lot of law on me, is what I'm saying that. And not asking me to do all of that, and I don't, I'm not necessarily suggesting that everyone does this, but it really, it was helpful for me that I didn't really want it. I loved school, and I wanted to study, and they gave me a lot of grace and freedom, and that was really, um, and so we didn't talk about it as much explicitly as I was younger, but it's been wonderful now um, to have them as a resource and a sounding board for ideas and things that I'm struggling with, and that they've really helped me, and been ready when I'm ready, but never pushing things on me. Okay, if anyone in the crowd has questions, we'd love to, <laughs> now that now that I have <laughs> got all my questions taken care of, and I'm going to repeat your question so that it will be recorded and so that other people can hear. Talk about your conversations with your friends when you told them that you were a Christian. Um, I still have this. I, I, do you mean in college or... Um, I would say that it it varied sometimes. It was just kind of like, oh, isn't that cute? Um, like, it's sort of like saying, this is by virtue of being somewhere else, I think. Like, away from sort of a place where Christianity can be more social. Um, it's sort of like saying that I was vegan or something. You know, like, how, how charming, you know? This is a little Christian girl from Alabama, you know? And that used to make me nuts, you know? I thought, it's not just because I'm from Alabama, hello, you know? But, um, but so I got that reaction sometimes. I also got a little bit of uh, hostility that I was kind of ignorant, but I think that, uh, that I hadn't thought about things, that I was kind of simple-minded maybe. But uh, I, uh, I never really let that phase me, I suppose, or I never, it never did for whatever reason uh, because I had this great church to support me and these really smart people around me, and I knew that... Um, that, you know, that, again, that's why I think the community can be really important or else I would have felt more isolated. But early on when I got some of those kind of, sometimes I would introduce myself like that and people would say, somehow would come up and people would say, like, whoa, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was good to have that backbone of people to say, oh, I'm not crazy, right, right? And they would, no, you're not crazy, you know, <laughs> so. What would you say to a 13-year-old Sarah Siebel's What would you say to a 13-year-old Sarah Siebels who says to you, you know, I really don't want to be on this bowling trip? I would say I didn't either, but no. Um, we haven't gone I bowling d- in six years. I just want to get that out there. <laughs> um, I would 
would say that that's why I'm, that's what I kind of mean by no agenda. That if you don't want to be there and you don't want to the bowling, I mean, then I'd say let's get some coffee. Let's get a prep, let's go get ice cream cone um, if they want to. Um, and then we can talk about whatever. You know, like that's what I mean. That if they're not ready to talk about, if you, I lo- I love to talk about the Bible. But if you want to talk about how you're nervous about who you're going to ask to him coming, let's talk about it. You know, because I think that underneath all of that, there are all these other things going on, insecurities and fears and that I have that I think everything points to the gospel. And so every conversation bears fruit if, um, if it's led by the Holy Spirit. Okay. How do you view your job, the weight and the responsibility of your job as compared to other ministers? Um, I try not to think about it too much <laughs> um, <laughs> because I think that would be sort of, I don't know. But um, I think that certainly if I didn't think that it, youth ministry was important, I wouldn't do it. Um, I remember thinking I, earlier in that conversation that I referenced when I said I would never be a youth minister, <laughs> I'd said, I don't really understand how you can become a Christian as a child. Um, but I've since met some wonderful people who became Christians at very young ages. Um, my roommate in the past year became a Christian, which was four, genuine conversion, and amazing. So um, I think it can definitely happen in, in that way that um, we're just put in this age group, and it's a formative time that it's uh, college, and also for, as you enter college, a lot of people leave the church, and uh, I think it's important. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think so. Um, People, people belittle the problems that you have as a teenager or younger, um, seeming like a mortgage and um, illness and things like that that happen more frequently as you age, seeing that as more important. But I think everything is kind of relative within your scope in that if you haven't experienced, say, a, you know, a major losing your job or major family illness or something, that which they, children still experience, but um, then... Who you're not getting asked to homecoming can still feel like a huge blow, and not to belittle them for that, because um, it's real. If it's real in your experience, I think. A number of times earlier, she was talking, talked about as Christianity being real, and so I'm asking for clarification. No one can deny that, uh, as a force, <laughs> Christianity is very powerful, but Christianity. The question where I stand theologically, is that the question? Is that? Okay. The question is, where do you stand theologically, Sarah? <laughs> Along the spectrum, right. Okay. Along the spectrum of extremely liberal to orthodox. Um, I would say that at this moment, again, uh, Every day is a new day, so. <laughs> but um, it should. It perhaps comes as no surprise, having spent a year with Paul Walker, that I uh, am probably. Um, I can be. I didn't. I used to make fun of Zal groupies, to be honest. Um, and I, I think that I looked up all of a sudden, and I realized I might be one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, I find that their message um, about um, the full saturation of sin and the fullness of God's grace being true in my experience and true in my reading of the Bible. 
So that would be where I think I stand. Parent asked, uh, they're getting ready to send a child to college, um, described how the world, uh, um, there is a, a bias and somewhat hostility in the academic world towards Christianity. What would you say to a, um, a parent who's getting ready to send their child into that environment? I would say that um, I, one of the reasons that I feel that I was led to UVA is because there's been a kind of um, evangelical upsurge, I guess, in the last few years there, and there are a number of... Um, professing Christians on staff. And so I didn't encounter that problem in the same way. There's certainly, um, I know that many people do. Um, I would say that it's, it was very helpful to me to be plugged into a community early on, though. Um, also, one thing just I think is interesting to, that I've heard from uh, some professors across the country have said that um, as Christianity becomes uh, less social, particularly in the mid-Atlantic Northeast and I suppose out west, that um, it's becoming less hostile in those environments because it's perceived as being less threatening. Um, which, So that being said, I never really, maybe that's part of why I never experienced any hostility because they viewed it more as being, what I was up against was viewing it as sort of cute and not necessarily, they weren't threatened by me, they just thought it was sort of quaint. All right, we have time for one more question. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll say a prayer for us. And uh, Sarah, you did a great job. Thanks so much. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for Sarah. We thank you, Lord, um, for the great work you've done in her life. And, Lord, we pray that you would just glorify yourself in her life and glorify yourself in her ministry. Pray for each of us, God, um, as we go into this week. Pray, Lord God, that you would we live in the reality of the gospel. We know that we are free people. Um, that we are under no condemnation, and pray that would free us up, Lord, to love you and love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.